Hello and welcome to the Saints Big Footy Podcast number seven. My name's Peter and joining me is Andrew. How are you going, Andrew? I am well, Peter. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, always good after a win and especially one in Adelaide. Uh, haven't felt that way for a long, long time. Yes, yes. Uh, a win on a Monday night seemed like a long wait considering the round yes, started I can't on a say, I can't say I'm a big fan of Monday night games. It's just too long to wait. It is, it is, and obviously uh, St Kilda supporters had a little bit of experience with this around the, around the time of when we were making grand finals. I think we played six Monday nights in a row. Um, yeah. They were, they, they, they were difficult games to get to, and as, as I had a expanding family and then moved away from Melbourne out to Ballarat, I think the last year they did it, I, did, I just I stayed in Melbourne. I didn't because I was working in Melbourne at the time. I just moved up. So I, yeah. I decided there's no point in going home, getting home at half past 12 and getting up five hours later to go to work. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I stayed in town. Um, look, it's interesting that they finally got around to Monday nights. They probably thought about playing them because there wasn't going to be a crowd at the game and there was what there was something like 14,000 at the game. Yeah. Yep. Um, so... Probably a good place to have them. The the, the midweek games, it, just more generally in Adelaide, because the Adelaide levels. I mean, it's a great place to go and watch footy. It's so close to the city, so it is a good place. And Adelaide's not a big place, but um, don't know if I'd be hugely enamoured with a with a Monday night at uh, the Docklands moving forward. I think if I was, no. if, you know, it would make things difficult. Well, I'm just thinking of you know. If you're driving in, you've got to find somewhere to park, and and kids are usually going to have school the next day, and uh, it'd be just a pain, I think. Yeah, my kids didn't watch the game. Um, it was a, it was it's a school night, and it was it was too late. So yeah, that that does make a difference. Yeah, it, it is a bit harsh, I think, because I actually would love to if they went back to Saturday afternoon games. Well, I mean, I, I was uh, I played local footy and was president of a local footy club for a little while. And uh, every year when the fixture came out, it'd be you know how many Saturday games and are they home games or are they away games and and how I would which ones would I get to and which ones I wouldn't be able to get to. So I probably come from a different place. Once once you yeah. stop doing that, then the Saturday afternoon becomes more attractive. But yeah. I understand. Uh, why it is. I mean, it's a bit like that in the English Premier League. I'll just happily drop, mention the Premier League considering what's happening tomorrow morning for Liverpool fans. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they, they they sort of try and keep the big games away from 3pm on a Saturday because that's when all the other football happens. So yeah, um, and I understand. These days it's all TV as well. Mm. And they don't like to have two games on at the same time. The, the best, the best Slot for me as someone with a family who lives in Country Victoria is the one ten Sunday game, because because oh, really? we can usually get home for dinner, so oh, we get yeah. home about six o'clock. Once you get everyone out oh, of the ground and in the car and everything like that, so yeah. they're the best games. The worst games are also on Sundays, so that's the Sunday twilight because oh yeah, you get home at nine thirty ten o'clock and you know you got to wind down and and then you're straight into a Monday, so. Our, that's yeah, that, our situation, but any any time slot is a good time slot to have a win. 
even if you have to wait as long as we did this week and we don't have to wait very long for our next game. So, yeah. I thought the only thing I have was, uh, the only problem I have with night games is that, as you said, if, if it's a good win, you can't go to bed because you're all keyed up. <laughs> And if you've got something on the next day, it can be real pain. And like the Sunday evening or twilight games, uh, yeah, it can be a real hassle to try sleep if, if you've got to get up for work or something. You just want to... You can. <clears throat> you need to, you need to take the time to just thing. calm down and <laughs> d- digest it. Um, depends who you've beaten, though. So I, I mean, I did that a little bit on Monday. It depends. Yeah. It's been a long time since we've been Adelaide. We've... Going into this season with three clubs that we have a at least an eight-year drought and we play them in the space of three games. So Adelaide, then Port Adelaide, then Sydney. So the the Port Adelaide game that finally found a home. But yes. um, back to the Adelaide game, I don't know what you thought. I don't know what you thought about it, Peter, but I thought Jack Steele's game was just about the best game I've seen a St Kilda play, St Kilda player play in some time. It was he, a great was, game. he was he was he was incredible. Yeah, um, he's Had, turning into a gun midfielder. He's not a tagger anymore. He's a he's a gun midfielder himself. Mm, mm. Which means they probably have to find someone else on the playing list to fill that role if required. I understand that it's 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 a, something that's going the way of you know there's two rucks rather than the Ruck Rover or uh, resting the Ruckman in the forward pocket or things like that. But uh, you do – I mean, I, I just – thinking back to the Collingwood game when Sidebottom ran amok and there's a couple of informed midfielders at Port Adelaide, but it, 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 just seeing him freed up and, you know, it might have had something to do with the service he was getting from Ryder as well. He played a very important role in that win. Yeah. But having him and Gresham in the middle – I mean, he, he had uh, Steele had twenty contested possessions, uh, which is the yeah. most by state in almost three years since the last time he did it. I think he had something yeah. like twelve clearances, and you got to remember, there's twenty percent less game, so those numbers are even more impressive. Um, yeah, and and a ripper of a goal on the non-preferred. I yeah. love seeing a guy put it across his boot and not tr- and not kick it too hard. Uh, yeah. See a lot of guys, and then they kick the cover off it, and that's where it goes everywhere because they. It's a fine art putting it on their wrong foot, so they mm. really think they've got to kick it hard. But it was a, uh, it was in, it was Saturday Monday night was instructive in terms of goal kicking because you had that effort by Jack Steele. Also in the it was all in the second quarter really. In the second quarter, you had Dougal Howard, and this is the analogy I use about guys who can kick the ball a long distance, is that you don't need to overswing if you've got a one wood in the bag. And yep. it went 50 metres. He didn't try and overkick it. I, And I'm sure you did as well over the years when we're watching Jason Graham, who had a thumping foot, but occasionally he'd try and kick the ball to space. And that was when the ball would go everywhere. He could, he could kick it 50 metres without trying. So if you've got the big, big birther in the bag, you don't need to overswing. Just let the club do the work. And it was a great kick by Howard. And then Jay Gresham with the set shot directly in front runs out to the right, ball goes right. I mean, it went dead straight the direction he was running in. Yeah. Maybe the That's maybe something that I've, I've seen over the years. Um, I was watching about, oh, actually going back probably about five or six years. And I think it was Jason Dunstall was on as a commentator. 
And he mentioned about if players run out to the right, you know, if they're right footers and they run out to the right, it usually goes right. And mm. ever since then, the amount of times I've seen players from lots of teams go out to the right and that just stays right all the way. So mm. I, I, I don't know. And you see a bloke like Franklin who's left left footer and runs out to the left and then the mm. ball goes right to left. You know, you kick, you, yeah. you, you know, and, you, you know, I think Franklin is a unicorn as far as football's concerned. He's one of, one of a kind. He's one of one. So you yeah. shouldn't be trying to emulate that. I always found that what I wanted to do when I was having a set shot was get a long run up and sort of be into a jog. By the time you get there, get some momentum through the ball. Yeah. Um, Peter McKenney used to go on about that when he was com- went back in the good old days when he was commentating. Yeah. I, I, I miss Peter and his – every now and then you'll catch a replay on Fox footy and Peter McKenney will be commentating and – He'll be calling the play and doing a pretty good job in terms of this goes that, and then, then he'll just break out with disgraceful effort there by Brown, and you just wouldn't get away with that nowadays. They're too busy. <laughs> They're too, you know, Brian Taylor's too busy talking about Cameron Ling's wardrobe. Yeah, um, and, and, uh, and, and, and keeps getting the players wrong. Did you notice <laughs> it on the? This is I didn't notice it on the night. This is the Ken memory thing. They do look a lot alike. Yeah. Um, they well, have, I, you know, I, it. I think the first time he got it wrong, I thought one's left footed, one's right footed. <laughs> I thought I'll let it go, but every time he said it afterwards, I kept thinking, "No, you're wrong." <laughs> they both got, uh, yeah. they both got sleeve tats. If you see them from, they both got numbers in the twenties. So if you see them from the, if you see them from their left, they might look like they've got the same number. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give Eddie some slack. That was a, that was a. It was a reasonable aspect. I was glad to see that it was a Dwayne Russell free zone on Monday night on Fox Footy. I think oh, yeah. Eddie and Hutto are about the two best callers they've got other than the uh, criminally underused Brenton Speed. Um, and although this is a little bugbear, it's a singular only podcast, so I can I can revel in this sort of navel-gazing, but seems to me that when other teams are the underdog against us, the commentators really sort of almost barrack for the other team. And it was like, oh, Adelaide are nearly in this and all that sort of stuff. I mean, Adelaide have been yeah. the very definition of an overdog for almost their entire uh, existence. But when we're the underdog, I just – when I was 16, I can remember an Adelaide game we played out there where Ben Hart took that mark. And uh, and Drew Morford was calling. And I was, all day was like we, – we, we were battling gamely, but Adelaide were, were, were a better team. And uh, – all day he was like, oh, it's only a matter of time now before Adelaide kick away in this match. And I got so upset, I actually rang Channel 7 on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> and complained, which is, you know, you're crossing the Rubicon when you become one of those people who rings up or sends a letter or an email. But that day I had enough. Was it, was it because of you that he got the uh, got the sack? Or? Oh, I think he was still there till they lost the footy in 2001, wasn't he? So, um, yeah, I don't think... I don't think I can take credit for that. No. But, you know, there's, there has been some discussion in the media this week about football commentary and football coverage. There was an interesting article about how the game is still sort of shot in the same way it was 60 years ago and it doesn't, you know, the, the, the clubs use the behind-the-goals footage and you don't really see what's happening yeah. meaningfully in a game. I mean, I... Mean, I, I it's part of the reason why I always love going to the football rather than watching the game on the television, being able to see the whole ground. But 
it's an interesting discussion. It's probably it might not be the right time to have it considering everything that's going on. We're just sort of trying to find, you know, a premier at the end of a season before we can all have a huge breath and yeah. and like that. But I think at some stage we've got to have a discussion about what sort of what what does the coverage look like? What do we want the commentary to look like? You know, and maybe the maybe the networks have got a bit of coverage with the the sort of dwindling numbers watching television anyway. They don't think there's a problem with the product because I, yeah. I, you know, I couldn't find anyone who likes uh, Brian Taylor's antics on Channel Seven, and he wasn't like that 15 years ago when he was calling for Channel Nine. There were occasional flights of fancy, but it's just all the time now. And yeah. he's sort of, you know, I think Bruce has got Stockholm syndrome because I'm sure Bruce just wants to talk about the football, but he gets dragged into all this stuff, and then. There's, there's all, and then, and then how the game is shot and all that sort of thing. So I think it'd be an interesting discussion to have, but I don't there's know one what. One thing that really, really bugs me with the Channel 7 coverage, and it's probably on Foxtel as well. I'm not sure, actually. Probably the same. They, they do the same sort of coverage anyway, but it's when the guy has a shot for goal, like on the run or something, and you see the ball go, and then they have a shot of the goal umpire. And then, but before he gives the decision, they go back to the player, mm. and and then you you're going, well, is it kicked it or what? And then it gets really like they, they do it at the exact wrong time, like just as the goal umpire is going to give his signal of what what it is, they rush back to the player so they can see the player celebrate or be upset. But I think it's it's wrong, and the amount of times they do it, and he hasn't made the distance. And then they have to show a replay of it being touched on the line or something because they've been too busy crossing back to the player to see the reaction. Oh, it really bugs me. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, but I thought I thought the I thought the coverage was reasonable on Monday, and and obviously we won the game. So after, yeah, the, I think you, you get to uh, overlook a lot of flaws when when you win a game. After the disaster. That was the week before. I can't remember anything about the coverage the week before, but I can certainly remember St Kilda looking like a million bucks and then throwing away. Yeah, this you know this second time five goal lead this season. Maybe I mean the Western Bulldogs did a bit of this last season where they I think they lost the Gold Coast and Carlton and us and beat some very good teams. They beat Richmond in the middle of the year. I think beat Essendon by hundred points. Essendon played finals. Um. Maybe we're at this season, which is which augurs well for this weekend against Port Adelaide on a five day break. Um, it doesn't augur well for the week after against Sydney, who who we haven't beaten in eight years. So we'll see what happens. But hopefully, there's some there, there's some consistency coming to the team. Um, yeah, I thought Steele was good. I really liked Caulfield's last month. Yeah. Uh, he's six foot three. He's one ninety one centimeters. I no, I didn't, I, I, I didn't know that. So um, there's been some comparisons about around the past to varying players, depending on what vintage you are. I think one of the old guys on Big Footy compared him to David Reese Jones. Um, I think I think more of a more of a Goddard. Yeah. Uh, and then hopefully he can have some midfield time, although I'd, I'd probably be more likely to get Clark some midfield time before Caulfield. I think I mean, Caulfield looks like a natural mid-sized defender who can take intercept marks. I've loved 
Patton's season so far. I was really happy when he didn't lose his spot going into round one. Yeah, um, he's played every game. He's always looked a really, really clean, smart footballer. Yeah, so, uh, he surprised so, me. I, I thought he was going to struggle when he first came into the side, mm. but he's got better and better every, every with every game he's played. He looks more um, assured and, and confident. He just looks like a, a building block footballer. He looks like you know you got to have five or six of those guys in your team to win a premiership, and he's probably yeah. a bit better than that. I've uh, I've said a few times you can win a premiership with a guy like Dean Kent in the team, but he might not necessarily be in your premiership team. You know, he's one of those blokes who's twenty to thirty on your list. I think Patton's maybe a little better than that, but if he is, yeah. and you know, it's, it's something that St Kilda supporters mention often about the, the 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 bottom six and how it cost us in tw- two thousand nine and two thousand ten. I, I tend to think it's a little overstated. Um, yeah, no one has it. No one has superstars at that level. And if you look at, you might someone might pop up and say, "What about West Coast in two thousand and six when they had blokes like Chad Fletcher as their fifth or sixth best midfielder?" And you look at that premiership team, and there were a few good ordinary players going around in that team in various spots. So, um, I think Stephen Armstrong played in that premiership, who was delisted by Melbourne. So. Um, and there's probably two or three others like him who were in that team. So, there's, I mean, the the premiership player argument, as in, you know, this bloke's a better player than that player because he's a premiership because he's a premiership player is one that I know. I know I'm a St Kilda supporter, so I'm always going to come down on one side of the argument, I guess. But you know, Aaron Keating has a premiership. He, he won it against us, you know, and he played eight games. Yeah. Um, yeah. Robert Harvey played three hundred and eighty-three games. Two Brownlows, four best and fairest eight all Australians. Um, you know, yeah, I've seen some pretty some pretty average footballs play in premierships, and they deserve to play them because they got in the team at the right time. But I think we can have a considering that there's no more team oriented team sport than Australian football in the world. You got 18 guys on the field, and it's the sort of sport where one guy can't win a game single handedly, unless yeah. his name's Wayne Carey. Um, yeah, then. Surely we can have a mature discussion about the fact that Robert Harvey's certainly a better footballer than Richard Hadley, you know. Yeah. I think some some guys are just lucky. I mean, that Richmond guy last season, he played his first game. Um, there's, there's a – yeah, it was Marlon Pickett. Marlon Pickett, yeah. Played his so first played, game in the game. He played in two premierships in a week. Um, yeah. Because he played the VFL one. McIntosh and Ross – Decided not to play in the VFL Grand Final because they thought they would get, they might get a game next week. The moral of that story is never ever do that. Just because <laughs> Pickett played himself into a Grand Final by being best on in the VFL Grand Final. So yeah, exactly. Um, although, with all due respect to Pickett, I reckon I could have probably got about twenty touches on Grand Final day last year. That was, I mean, uh, I struggled with. I, I think that GWS team probably would have got beaten by five goals by Port Adelaide in two thousand and seven. Yeah, I struggle to remember a worse grand a performance in a grand final by a team than, it was than a GWS last year. And you know, if history has showed us that things over the last certainly the last thirty five years is that teams that get flogged in grand finals don't recover. Yes, and Definitely. I think they're suffering from that. 
and you know, St Kilda supporters know that all too well. You know, we recovered after two thousand and nine, but we didn't recover after two thousand and ten when we got pantsed in the replay. So Essendon yeah. in eighty three, eighty four, probably the last. Oh, sorry, Hawthorne eighty five, eighty six, probably the last team to do it. Yeah, I think um, G- GWS. I mean, they look woeful at the moment. They'll probably win this week, but they look woeful at the moment. Who have they got this week? They've got Richmond. Friday night's the grand final replay in Richmond. Uh, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Um, yeah, they'll probably get up and beat Richmond. I mean, totally <laughs> unexpected. But I think but, the smart money's on Richmond, but smart money's not always right. No, no. We've certainly got a chance this week against Port Adelaide. Um, I, I think. think, so. I, I, think I don't think Port are that good. They've beaten up on some bad teams. I, I mean, I didn't see any of them on the weekend, but um, I've seen bits of them. They've played. You know, they've beaten Adelaide. They've beaten Frio, who are who have a I think four four wins between them. So, and one of those wins was between them between themselves. So, I mean, I, I think I, I can't like. And just would like to see us beat Port Adelaide on that ground. Um, yeah, and then that was the that was the if I can tie everything together, that was the 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 fact that we came out and won and we won in a mature manner against Adelaide was really good because the look the final game had the potential to um, certainly become de- sort of defining. I can remember in '99 when we were eleven goals up against Hawthorne and got beat. And the very next week, we played the bottom team and got five or five or six goals up, and lost again. And it was, yeah. one, it was only one of, I think, Collingwood won four games that year, and that was one of them. Um, that that group never really recovered. Um, it took us probably to the second half of two thousand and three to recover from that game. We're, and you know, through that period, we just kept. We would win games, but every, you know, regularly we would get well in front and lose a game. You know, the the game to the Bulldogs yeah. where Max Hudson cried with five goals up at three quarter time, got beat by a point. Um, I think there was a there was a two thousand one. There was a game against Geelong early in the season. Two thousand two. There was a game against Fremantle early in the season. We would just we would dr- lose leads, and having done it twice this season, it's it, you know, you uh you get a certain amount in front maybe five or six goals, and then the other team kicks a couple and you start to think to yourself, oh, here we go again. So yeah, it's really important. That's not what happened. Uh, that's sort of the, the thing that happened again, that sort of defined and sort of ended the, any chance of us succeeding under Richo. It was just the absolute demoralization of losing that game against Adelaide, against Port Adelaide in Adelaide three years ago. Um, yeah. When when we yeah did our best to kick ourselves out of a game that we were competitive in for three quarters, came super hard in the last quarter and got more than a goal in front with about two minutes left and somehow lost the game. A game where, and that year they were still on the list, but Rewald, Montagna, Gilbert and Geary didn't play that game. So it was a really young group who went over there. Um, I, I, I think... I think if we'd won that game, Richo would still be coaching. We would have played finals two or three times and would be competing for a premiership, to be perfectly truthful. Yeah. Um, but it just sort of defined the group and they they became almost sort of terribly fear, fearful of failure after that. 
and the seeds of 2018 were sown then, and then we turned around a little in 2019. But once things got tough, they it start that started again, and that was the end. So I'd really like to exercise those demons this week with a really good, a really good. I think the in any club when they're on the on the rise, one of the land, one of the hallmarks you've got to you've got to win when you're not at your best. You've got to win the game when you're hunted by a club, a lesser club who are who are having a really good day, but you've also got to ha- have the meritorious win into state. And yeah. the closest thing, the closest thing to that happening under Richo was a was win against Fremantle that, in that 2017. Um, but Fred didn't play finals that year, so you know, thinking about St Kilda's when they've really challenged. 97, there was a win in Sydney. Um, 2004. Four, there was wins. There was a win in Adelaide on a five-day break, and then a win in Perth against Fremantle. Um, Two thousand and eight, there was a win in Perth against Fremantle. Two thousand and nine, we just—I mean, we won everywhere. So, but a good win against Adelaide early in the season. So, it's an important signpost. If we can beat Port Adelaide, I think it'll be a huge, huge thing for the group to do that. I think with um, the Adelaide game. I mean, on you would have read on Big Footy itself with the autopsy that how many people were unhappy with the way we played. But to win ugly is important because, as you know, good teams managed to win those games and that's what we did. And we didn't win by a point or two. You know, we won comfortably in the end. So um, I think that's that's really good for the... For the, the players to know that they didn't play at their best, but they could still knock, knock over Adelaide in Adelaide. So I think that's a really good sign for them. I mean, we'd never won at the Adelaide Oval. I went 10 with an average losing margin of just under 50 points. Uh, hadn't beaten Adelaide in Adelaide in 11 years and hadn't beaten them anywhere in nine. Um, only, yeah, so it was... It was it was it was meritorious. It wasn't scintillating football, but not a lot of football has been this year. Um, no, Adelaide got a sniff. You know, Tex got his three. Um, Riley O'Brien is coming. You know, he's getting close to membership in a, in a, in a team I call the Ronnie Burns All Stars, named after the Geelong, former Geelong and Adelaide forward. These are blokes who only play well against St Kilda. <laughs> um. There's another team called over the years too. <laughs> There's another team called the Chris Judd All Stars, which are blokes who play well against everyone but St Kilda. So, yeah, I, I mean, he might have got a, a one or two best on grounds, but he seemed to always be below par against us. So, but yeah, Riley O'Brien's played probably five good games, and th- I think three of them have been against us. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I was in the third quarter against Fremantle. I was worried, and. In the third quarter against Adelaide, I wasn't worried. I think when Tex got the soft three in the final quarter uh, against Wilkie, which is which if you if we were talking about TV coverage before, I was I was sh- I, when when it was on, they showed the replay and they showed Walker falling over, and I'm just with Wilkie next to him. And like, can you show the five seconds before that? You know, when did yeah. he start falling over? Has he grabbed it, Wilkie, to bring him down with him? All sorts of things. I mean, I think that would have been interesting. He kicks that, and I was just like. Watching the game and saying you, it, it'll only stop. The, I mean, talking about getting comebacks against. It's only stop if we stop it. 
You know, you're never going to play against a team who doesn't want to win. And, you know, Walker's probably played. If he, if he had played in a loss against St. Kilda, it would be one. So <laughs> yeah. things like Yogi Berra against the Reds. Yeah, we've been beating these guys for 100 years. Um, so he's got the confidence, got the tails up. But from that point on, I think we kicked the next three goals of the game. Membry, who kept plugging away. And I know there's been, there was a bit of criticism about his form this season. He looked like a million bucks in preseason. Um, one thing I like about bad memory is his effort at the end of the game is the same as his effort at the start of the game. And yeah. they played him really well. Uh, Dodi, or uh, I can't pronounce that bloke's name, um, did a really good job on him. And he was captain and he stepped up and he played. He was probably just about Adelaide's best player. Um, yeah. But so. he got that, got, that, got that mark due to some really good body work from Marshall behind and a pretty poor reaction from Hardigan, but he was still there, still presenting, took the mark, and then went back and kicked the goal. Um, and the other one I thought it was a bit – I didn't have him in the votes, but there's been a lot of criticism of Loney's game, and I thought short of that one from the boundary where he kicked it with his right foot where he either should have been going the left foot banana or giving it to someone who can kick with his right foot, his, I thought his game was really good. You know, he had a hand in a goal at the start of the game to Butler in the first quarter with a really clever tap. Uh, lovely roving goal in the last quarter, and in the second quarter, Gresham's goal was a result of uh, a couple of repeat tackles from Loney in the forward fifty. I don't know what more you want him to do. He's just a he's just a very clever footballer. The four, the forward line, we, we got our twelve goals this week, which you know we would have been happy with last year when we were kicking eleven goals for fourteen straight weeks. Yeah. Twelve goals would have been would been good, and we, we we're going at that right now. We've got a good spread of goal kickers, and I think the forward line's working pretty well. So. Well, you've got to remember also that it's uh, shorter quarters this year too. So mm. 12 goals is even better than uh, the 11 we'll get in last year. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it was a slippery night. It was hard to, there weren't too many marks stuck uh, other than big Jake Carlisle, who looked like a million bucks. Um, the uh, Maybe with battle coming out, I'm not sure what role he was going to play on that or he was playing on Monday night because he didn't get much of a run at it. But, um, maybe a smaller type in for him this week. Maybe a Nick Hind or or a Jack Sinclair, and go with a slightly different look. Considering it'll probably be very similar conditions yeah. this weekend. So, but um, but other than that, I think. Yeah, I mean, you've got you you got Ryder who's going to be the full time ruckman. You can have Marshall down there with King and Membry. I've already. I've, I mean, you know. I've pulled my hair out plenty of times watching us, particularly at Docklands, when we, when it's been like what I used to call Nick and the Dwarfs. So <laughs> yes. it'd be Nick Rewald, and then the second tall forward would go off for his break, or the ruckman would go off, and the second tall forward would go into the ruck, and just like here's Nick and a whole bunch of little people. You've got to yeah. have, you've got to have at least four players who are key position forwards or ruckman in your team, and if you've got three, you're short. And memory makes that okay because he's not he's not a lumbering tall. Yeah. But you I think I think if you once you have once you don't have once you have three instead of four, then you become a lot easier to defend, especially when the ball is in the air. And you can't always and even I mean today more than ever, you can't always hit blokes on a lead. The space isn't there. You've got to you've got to be able to go the go the get out target. Max King Looms as sort of as a forward as sort of the rich man's Justin Kaczynski because I just don't remember Max King getting outmarked. He always gets hands on the ball even if he doesn't mark it and the ball comes to ground, which is 
pretty important in today's game. Yeah. He's one of those guys that that when he goes to mark the ball, he's like full extension and full extension of his arms. And uh, it's very hard to punch the ball away from him because he's so tall and he moves quick. Um, he's not slow. Body weight, I think he will be a very good player. And he's not – I know I know. He, he has this sort of concave chest that makes him look like he's – there's nothing of him. But below the waist, he's very solid. So, yeah. you know, I, I can I, I can I can see him I can see him taking marks where he's where he's not being moved off the ball that sort of thing and yeah, exactly if you've got Membry and King who are two different types and maybe Marshall if he can sort of settle into more of that role which I'm not I'm not sure he can um it, it's interesting it's 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 going to be a transition year for Marshall because I think a lot of the time for us to win. Ryder will be the better option. It was on the weekend. But Marshall last year thrived on being the Ruckman all the time and and it sort of reminded me of Luke Darcy in the Ruck when he was, in like in 2002, he would be winning his own clearances and that sort of thing, which you can do now again and now that they've changed the holding the ball rule back as far as Ruckman are concerned. So it's interesting to see how that'll go because, you know, Marshall was clearly... His inability to dominate lob after Darcy got hit in the head against Fremantle was clearly one of the contributing factors to us losing. I, I think there is a place for both Ryder and Marshall to play uh, most games. Not necessarily every game, but most games I think we look better when we have both of them playing in the team. I mean, clearly they both, they both play this week with Scott Lice set out for Port Adelaide. Um, they'll be going in with one of their. They always seem to have five or six project ruckmen, yeah, on their list. Port Adelaide, but um, they'll be going in with one of those guys, and I think you've just got to try and put them to the sword, get the ball down to Steele and Zach Jones and Jay Gresham is probably your A one centre clearance midfield at the moment, and get some quick ball over the forward line. Yeah. And, of course, the other advantage of having Marshall down in the forward line with Membry and King is that it means the defenders can't zone off their player to, to go to, like when Rewalt was there and they'd have three guys going up against him. But they can't do that when there's these big guys down there. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And uh, as long as they're – it took Cozzy and Rewalt a little bit of time to stop leading to the same spots, but – these guys, these guys will, will get there, and then Max King's played yeah. seven games, yeah. and uh, you know his eight goals. You know, and today's, you know, today's today's league with the game, the way the game is going, and the scoring, and the and the the fact that matches are shorter. I think these guys a twenty goal season. That's that's huge. What he might do though is show show up the ridiculousness of the Rising Star Award because he keeps getting one or two a game. He might not get a nomination. Um, he's got to grab a game by the scruff of the neck, especially which is yeah. not easy to keep forward in this day and age. Um, and that that might not happen this year. I think I think everyone in the footy world wants it to happen. Um, yeah. and might, but you know who knows? And especially if you know the, the the whole season's being played at night, and half of it it might be that might be when the weather finds up and we're still playing games in September. But um, at the moment, you know, night times in anywhere, but 
night game in Adelaide followed by a whole bunch of games in Brisbane, the conditions might not suit him in terms of, you know, clunking a whole bunch of marks. But he joined a long list of really, really good St Kilda players who never, ever got a rising star nomination and went on to great things. It, Nicky Dow never got one. I mean, I thought we to remember he was he was clear he was going to be a gun from his first game and he played like 16 games in his first season and didn't get a nomination. So, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, Marshall, I think Marshall's um, nomination was that last year. Don't think he was ever eligible because he was too old. Oh yeah, no, it wasn't Marshall. I was thinking of who was I was thinking of. Oh. I'm sure. I, I, I think I think it was Hunter Clark. Um, yeah, oh, it been Hunter Clark. It won a, yeah, I think I'm it was him because he played some really good games and then played one average game against Carlton. I think like the second last or third last game and got a nomination for that. Which no, no, it was Josh Battle. Oh, Josh Battle. That's right. Josh yes. Battle got nominated last year for the year for the Carlton game. Yeah. I can't remember a single thing he did in that game. Um, <laughs> and, and yet he uh, dominated against Richmond of all teams and uh, didn't get a nomination. Yeah. The year before, Long and Clark got nominated. So, yeah, that's right. Been a while we, since we had someone to show up winning it. Sorry. Our players never seem to get nominated for things. Yeah. The Rising Star's a good one. Blokes always seem to get nominated for playing against us. I went up to Brisbane one year f- to, to watch a game, and I think it was Cameron Wood's only ever good game. And he got a Rising Star nomination. We got beat by about eight goals. But Yep, you're right. Ah, uh, well. He's not on my all-time team of people I've watched play for St Kilda, Peter. No. <laughs> oh, Yes. We should talk about it. <laughs> <I'd> forgotten. <laughs> uh, we were so running we had... out of time, so I thought I'd go with the tortured segue. Yeah, very well done. It, it threw me. I wasn't expecting it. Um, so we've we've decided to go come up with teams of players that we have actually seen play. So, in other words, seen live. So it, it, a good example of, is uh, if you never saw Tony Lockett play for St Kilda, then you can't put him in your team. So that's just the way it goes. So it's players who have actually seen live. So do you want to go first, Andrew? I will. I'm just making a slight amendment to my team. I'm making a swap from inside the team. So here's what I've got. To, the, my, my, my back line is Frawley, Hudson, Baker. Yep. Half back line is Austin Jones, Sam Fisher, Brendan Goddard. The centre line, I couldn't, I, I, couldn't re, I couldn't resist this centre line. Um. Winmar Hayes McAdam. Oh, that's good. Yep. Half forward line Rewalt Low Del Santo. Forward yep. line Milne Lockett and Jack Stephen. Uh, the Ruck Followers Division Peter Everett, Robert Harvey, and Nathan Burke. And on the bench, I've got Fraser Gary, Lee Montagna, Andrew Thompson, and David Grant. Good side. I like that. So there's a couple there from when I was not. Terribly old. I, 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 you know, probably, probably didn't see a whole lot of Frawley and Grant, but they're both very good footballers. Yeah. Um, Gilbert McAdam was just a dead set gun, so he gets in there. Um, Peter Everett's the best tap ruckman, pure tap ruckman I've ever seen in any jumper. Yeah. Um, not too many spots where I could have stuck Jack Stevens. He goes in a forward pocket. He goes one four best and fairest. Yeah, I, um, I had to put him in my team too, just because of that. Um, 
Gehrig on the bench, but he sort of covers for all the tall forwards and, and Everett. So whenever it has a rest, Stuart Lowe goes into the ruck. Um, yeah. And, you know, apologies to a few a few who probably didn't miss out by not that much. Guys like Luke Ball, Jaron Geary. Um, yeah, a few that were Adam Schneider, Justin Peckett. Certainly thought about them, but won't steal yeah. any of your thunder. And Frawley, Frawley's the captain. So we're uh, yeah, his captain as well. Not too far from, not too uh, long before the one year anniversary. And we, 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 you know, everything that's happened this year, it's robbed us with, from a, with robbed us St. Killer Spurs of an opportunity to, to pay tribute to, to Danny. Um, it, uh, Danny died uh, not too far from where I live. So, and, and yeah. lived. So it's the sort of area where you, you know, it's, it's 10 minutes to Bungaree and there's the, the Danny, Danny, Frawley Pavilion, and then just over the other side of the Western Highway is Frawley's Road and the Frawley property. So, yeah. um, it was all very sad. And uh, I, I had not long before that listened to the podcast he had done, the SAC podcast, where he, he talked about all, all that sort of stuff, and it made it sort of sound like he was, you know, things were on the improve and that sort of thing. So, and obviously the events of this week um, also have sort of brought that back into focus. So. Yeah. You know, if you if you're listening and you you're struggling, go get some help. So, and or talk to someone, talk to talk to a loved one or anyone. You know, just have that because I think probably a few people doing it tough at the moment with everything that's going on. So, yeah. but yeah. no, I mean I've got a the the footy jumper I wear to the the St Kilda games is number two on the back. Um, would call it a Danny Frawley tribute rather than probably what it was at the time, which was. Assuming Aaron Sipos was going to play 200 games for the club, but uh, but uh, then it, it, then it, after 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 that didn't work out, it became a Danny Frawley sort of Brian Minot tribute. Um, oh, is Sipos playing in Gridiron? Uh, he is. He, he, got, he got drafted by the Detroit Lions. He still has to make the team, but because um, yeah. it can be a very uh, transitory existence being a punter in the NFL, but he went over there. I mean, it was from everything I understand, he finally got his act together just uh, and towards the end of his St. Kilda career, but that was when his body failed him. So, yeah, one, you know, one of the best kicks I think I've ever seen at the club. So, but he didn't make my team. No. Peter, have you got a team? I have got a I team. Feel, I feel like you have. I have got some, some oldies in there that were playing when I first started going. Um, and well, whether or not they're better than some of the others, I don't know. But they were my favourite players at the time. Uh, so they're in my team. Okay, so we'll start with the back line. Jeff Dunn, Danny Frawley and Nathan Burke. Do you remember Jeff Dunn at all? Jeff Dunn's a little bit before my time. So it was like yeah. 70s, early 80s? Yeah. He, he got a few games for Victoria back when the – uh, interstate game for a big thing. And I think at the time he was like the only or one of the only Saint players to, to do that. Him and Trevor Barker, I think, would have been around at the same time. Uh, half back Fair line, enough. we've got David Grant. I went with Grant Thomas and uh, Goddard. Uh, yep. I went for Grant Thomas because I used to love his torpedoes. He reckons he was like the, one of the a trendsetter as he would just play centre half back and just run off his man and 
and so, then go the big torp. That was that was his thing. He, he just loved to go the big torp all the time. Run, the running torp. Certainly, well, yeah. I mean, the torp's lost to footy, but certainly the running torp is as well. I really, really should have put Sam Fisher in there, but when I wrote the side, I didn't think of him. So that's the way it goes sometimes. Fair um, enough. Two best and fairest, both in years we played finals. I mean, could play Sam yeah. Fisher and obviously internally very highly rated. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, the centre line, we've got Del Santo, Hayes and Joffa Cunningham. Oh, Joffa. Good Ballarat boy. Yep. I um, Back in the days when, well, that would have been uh, 80s, I'd guess, early 80s or late 70s, early 80s, and uh, we didn't have very many good players. Uh Joffa Cunningham was about the him and Barker, although Barker used to be injured a lot um, towards the end of his career. Uh, but Cunningham was one of those guys that just got in there and got dirty and didn't have the great skills in the world, but was a great player that, that loved St Kilda. So, uh, and he was my favourite player at the time. He was always good fun to watch. Didn't mind a fight too, so uh, that was always fun. Uh, half forward line. I've got uh, Winmar, Rewalt, and Rodney Owen. Rod Owen, now that he, now I, I went down the Rod Owen rabbit hole a little while ago, thanks to the wonderful uh, website AFL Tables. Yep, and I mean, this guy could have been anything. Um, yeah, seventy-eight games, one hundred and forty-three goals. I've just called it up now. Um, went to Melbourne and then went to Brisbane. Um, in his fourth last game, fourth last game of, of AFL football, kicked eight goals, six, um, and was That's finished what he was at, at the time. And was finished at twenty five. But well, I mean, I can't remember seeing. Did he play? Did he play tall? Was he a centre half forward or he was? He was uh, medium height. He wasn't a great mark above his head. Uh, but he could do astounding things with the ball on the ground. He always reminds me of the vision that you see of Daryl Bordock. Just sort of spin around players. Um, when he first got in the team, I think he was 15, if I remember correctly, 15 yep. or almost 16 or something like that. He was amazing to watch, and then he did his knee, at, like all good St Kilda players, did he, got an injury and was out for a year. Uh, oh, I'm not sure if it was a year, but it was a long time. Uh, when he came back, he just lost that tiny little bit. So he could have been better than he was, I think. Um, I don't think he's he ever fully recovered from his knee injury, but he still he was still awesome to watch because he still could do those steps around players. Uh, they didn't know whether to tackle him or to or what to do because he could just he could burst through tackles because he was very strong. Um, it's, it's just good fun to watch. He's one of those players that you, you enjoy watching because he could be have an absolute shocker of a game and then just kick amazing goal out of nowhere. So, yeah, I, I had... He was there guy. next to Winmar and Rewalt, wasn't it? Yep. So there's a bit of talent there. Yes. Uh, and four line, we've got uh, Trevor Barker. Didn't know where to put him, so I've put him up in the forward pocket. Uh, could have been anywhere the way he used to play. He could have played 
well, he played a lot of times as a full back against monster full forwards and stuff like that. Uh, he always did a good job. Um, he played centre back, played centre forward, played full forward, played on the wing. He, he played anywhere. Uh, uh, Tony Lockett, obviously, and Stephen Milne. Uh, Ruck with uh, Everett, Harvey, and Jack Stephen. I thought for best and fairest, he has to get a get. He has to get a guarantee. Yep. Uh, interchange. We've got uh, Aussie Jones, Stuart Lowe, Montagna, and Thompson. And there are about ten names that are crossed out where I put them in and then <laughs> took them out again. So it's very hard to settle on certain players. But amazingly yeah, enough, enough. Uh, Jack Steven is the well, he's no longer a St Kilda player, but he's the only guy that's still playing that team. So not too many recent players. I, I think I'm the same. And obviously, I'm the more recent team, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, who would be the number one out of that? Who would be the best Saint that you've seen play, in, in uh, your opinion? I can't go past Lockett. Fair enough. Uh, it's hard. I mean, when you get players playing different positions, I mean, hardly. Gun, uh, Rewalt, obviously. Uh, I, mean, but then, I think yeah. about I think about Lockett now in today's game, and I tend to think he either would have been Patrick Cripps type or not played at all. I mean, he was insanely skilled on either side of his body, one of the best kicks of a ball across his boot I've ever seen. Um, there was a state matching in 84 or 85 where they played him in the ruck and he was best on ground for Victoria. I think he won a Witten medal. Yeah. Which he did. I mean, I think he won another one in 95 playing, obviously, as a full forward. Um, I just I just, I don't, I don't, I don't know whether he would have made it through the uh, the training regimes now, but I just feel like they would have they would have played him as a big-bodied midfielder. Yeah. If they got it. If, they, if, he, if, he had found a, if he had found a tank at some stage, you know, and some aerobic yeah. fitness. Um, I think that would have been the position for him. He would have well, any football when Bordock was was coach. He wanted to play Lockett as centre half forward because he reckoned he was too good to be sitting down in the the, hmm. um, the goal square all day. Well, and he Peter McKenna's old Peter McKenna's old mate Don Scott always used to say that centre half forward was the hardest position on the ground, and centre half back was the easiest position on the ground. So. You played your if yep. you could play your best player and he was a key position player, you played him at centre half forward. Yep. So and we've got another I team. Well I think uh Yorkie Way from Big Footy Site. Yep. yep. He's sent in the team. Now this will be very interesting. Uh well I say that because I'm looking at the team, so that helps. But anyway. Uh so back line we've got uh Nathan Burke, uh, Murray and Neil. A bit older than me, you've seen them. Bob Murray and uh, Cowboy. Trevor Barker. Max Hudgeton and Goddard. Good to see Maxie in there. There's another one I could have had at sent half back. Oh, gee. Anyway, uh, Del Santo, Stewart, and Montagna. Winmar, Rewall, and Bordock. Oh, that's a bit of talent there. This just, I like that. Yep. Fraser Gary, Tony Lockett, Stephen Milne. That's a nasty look on forward line. Uh, Dittridge, I don't know if there'd be uh, too many. I don't know if Milne be getting too many crumbs. No, I don't think so. You might get a bit cold by the end of the day. 
Uh, so in the ruck, we've got Dittridge, Harvey and Thompson. And on the bench, we've got Everett, Lowe, Jones and Hayes. So some good players there. Did you have Lenny in your team? Yeah, he's uh, in the centre. In the centre. Oh, very good. There we go. Had to have Lenny um, in there. Fair enough. Um, I did ask you who, who, who you thought the best saint you've ever seen is, so I'll, I'll answer my own question. Um, for me, it's it's Rewalt and undoubtedly so. Um, yeah. Just just an incredible athlete, an incredible leader. I mean, a, an alert leader, not a, not a born leader, but I've just watched so many guys. I mean, it also coincided with when I started going to St Kilda games. I mean, that started in 2000 and Rewalt arrived in 2001. So it was the first truly tr- great player that I saw for the entirety of their career. You know, yeah, to a point where I was, you know, just starting out in life, and by the time you know we went to his last game, I had two of my sons with me. So, um, and I think it's it's awesome that he played for St Kilda all that time. Like for me, Lockett has always got that little asterisk where he went on to play for Sydney. Bugs me a lot. No, oh, I mean, I don't. I, I, I from what I've read and what I understand, he didn't. He didn't. Really want to leave St Kilda? It was more like he felt like he he had to, and certainly wanted St Kilda to be looked after um, in any deal, and sort of help kickstart the rebuild that happened. Mm. Uh, Any player these days, um, if it's more money, you know, when you've got your life ahead of and stuff, there's a certain stage you get to your career where you think, I've only got so many years left, Um, you know. What will I do? Will I stay at the club or I'm getting this really good deal with someone else like uh, Josh Bruce that went to mm. Bulldog. Uh, you've got a young family and all that. So, you know, you can't blame them gonna, for moving on. They're going to put Josh Bruce in a glass case at the Witten Oval and on the yeah. top of the Witten Oval will say, in case of playing North Melbourne break glass. Yes. <laughs> Barely, he's barely got a kick, and the last two times he's played North Melbourne, he's kicked six goals. Um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I wrote this a few years ago when Rewalt was finishing up. Um, I've got, I got in my mind a list of St Kilda's sort of undisputed five best players of all time, and it is it is Stewart, Baldock, Harvey, Lockett, and Rewalt. And yep. Other than Robert Harvey, they all the other three all spent significant amount, significant amounts of their prime football years playing somewhere else. Whether it was Daryl Bulldog in Tasmania or Ian Stewart playing for Richmond or Tony Lockett playing for Sydney, so they have that in common. Lockett and Rewald also sort of traversed the five most the, the group that is the five most beloved Saints. Where you take out probably certainly Stewart and probably Lockett and re- replace them with Hayes and Barker, as in yeah. The, the five most loved Saints by Saints fans. Um, having said that, Rewalt, I mean, there has been, there, is, there is still some Rewalt animus out there. Um, but he was, some. Of, I mean, some of the things he would do on the football field, like uh, Rewalt, in terms of being able to cover ground, being able to take marks, um, was just incredible. I think there have been more yeah. skillful footballers play for St Kilda, certainly. And the fact that he's the only player it's in his St Kilda history to win more than four best and fairest, more than Harvey, uh, 
more than any of those other players and he went on to win six and I think he's probably undersold a little bit. The amount of, you know, any, the, uh, what do you have? Five All Australians, I think, probably should have had seven. Um, yeah, could have been. Didn't win, somehow didn't win the 2009 AFL MVP because the AFL players forgot the meaning of the word valuable. Yeah. I mean, they gave it to Ablett, who was the best player in the competition that year, but Zong probably would have still been in the grand final if Ablett hadn't played. And we ran out that experiment two years later when he wasn't there. Um, St. Gil probably wouldn't have played finals without Rewalt in that 2019. So he was clearly the most valuable player that year. Um, and then the 2010 was the um, was to watch him live rather than on TV because you could just mm. watch how much running he did and why yeah, and he I was think always that, burning off opponents and stuff. I think that's why a lot of people who don't support St Kilda have a lesser opinion of him. Obviously, they're going to less opinion him because you know he's not their player, but. You really had to watch Rewalt live. Yeah. You had to, you know, to get the full Rewalt experience, you had to get there 90 minutes before the game when he was doing his pre, pre, pre warm up and watch himself work himself into a ladder three or four times before the game started. And then he's just, I can remember a game in 2009 where Brian Lake went to him. And I think I literally rubbed my hands together because I just thought he's, he's not going to follow him outside 50. And, Rewald just read. I mean, there was just some guys who just shouldn't have played on him. Um, yeah. But the great lost Rewalt season, which was 2010, he had something like 22 marks, 11 goals, and six Brownlow votes in the first two games and did his hamstring in round three. And he was going to put together one of the all-time great seasons. I think I think yeah. if that season had been allowed to play out the way it was going to, um, one, I think we'd probably win the premiership considering we won more point in the grand final than we would have won the premiership. But... Also, I think he would have swept all before him with awards-wise and people would have been comparing it to, you know, Kerry in 98 and Franklin in 08. It would have made Franklin 08 pale in the comparison, I reckon. So, yeah. But he did his hamstring and that was that, you know, so. He did it badly and he tore it off the bone or something like that? To, to snap the tendon. Yeah, that's right. Snap yeah. the tendon. Josh Gibson did exactly the same injury the exact same week. And 14 yeah. weeks later, they played on each other. So, man, I, I do have a story about Tony Lockett. Um, oh. Back, oh, I don't know when, before he played his first game for St Kilda in the seniors, I uh, fronted up early on at uh, Moorabbin and um, used to front up at halftime in the reserves back in the days when we had the reserves to watch before the game. Man, it was not like, we had to get there early to get a spot. I mean, we weren't a very good side and we were always down the bottom and the crowds weren't that big. But anyway, I used to get there early and uh, I walk in and the players just started, started the third quarter and there's this big guy standing at full forward. And I'm like, Who the hell's that? Never seen him before. And I walked past a couple of people and they were sort of ground. Uh, it's, looking through a, a footy record or something, and I said, who's that guy down there? And they didn't know because he wasn't listed in the, the team sheets or anything that were listed in the footy record then. Um, mm-hmm. No idea who he was. I think he kicked four or five goals in the second half and looked every bit as good as, you know, he was going to become. And... Uh, all I kept saying to my mates was, who's that big fat bloke down in the full forward? 
no one knew. And I think that I could be wrong, but I think the following week he played his first game um, when Mark Jackson was there. Wacko Jacko was at full forward. But uh, yeah, it was good old days when you could see the reserves play. That was good fun. Well, we can't even see the seniors play at the moment, Peter. So no, that's true. Yes, one day. This, yeah, comes good eventually. So looking forward, I'm looking forward to Saturday. It's an opportunity. I think yep. we'll go in sort of with nothing to lose. Um, probably would think that the you know the forward line might get a little smaller and more fleet of foot. You know, you've still got Ryder and Marshall and. King and memory, so I think it'll be tall enough. Uh, with with battle being replaced by a smaller type for this week, and yeah. and uh, you know, hopefully Hanbury comes in. I don't, I'm not sure who comes out. I mean, Young Burns didn't really get near it, but I don't really want to see blokes get dropped after one game. So, no, I think it's a bit harsh. You got to give him mm. a couple games, mm. at least get but, the feel of it, but. You know, Hanbury versus Burns is pretty straightforward, I would have thought. So we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. Um, there might be someone else who, who gets a rest or something like that. But Do you think this week with the short turnaround, they might be tempted to bring in two guys that haven't played much or if at all this season? I think, I think the issue here is that, you know, uh, the team's not terribly young. I'm not terribly, not, not terribly old. Yeah. I'm just... Uh, Looking at the team, we've 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 already suggested that Ryder's going to be in this week because he had a huge uh, say in the win on Monday night. Yeah. Um, he's the oldest player at the team. Jaron Geary's the second oldest. Jaron's the captain. He's also just come back from injury, so you know he's he should be reasonably fresh. So, and Carlisle's in his best form in two or three. So I'm not exactly sure who they rest in terms of looking at an old player. Um, yeah. So and I'm not sure. I'm a risk to, to rest midfield players because they can easily drop out of form. Although Ross has been struggling a bit. Yeah. Um, he had ten disposals on the weekend, but he had two goal assists. Um, I didn't. I, I didn't see a lot wrong with his game, but you know, Jones had about fourteen at quarter time, and Steele had twenty six for the game, and Gresham. Had seven clearances. They had twenty-six clearances between the three of them, and uh, Ryder had four himself. That was thirty between four players. Adelaide had thirty-one. Um, I think he's just probably been asked to play a slightly different role, and he's just been pushed down the pecking order a bit. So I'm not sure. I mean, there's a, there's plenty of Ross bashing, and I thought last year he should. I, I, I didn't have him finishing my top three in the best of various, and ended up winning it. But but I think he's being asked to play a different role and maybe he's the one who goes to someone like Boak on the weekend to try and negate and take them out of the game. Yeah, it could be because he, he's done similar roles before. And the problem with um, not being in the, the coach's box, so to speak, is mm. that we don't know what roles they've been given. So, yeah. like, for example... We might have all say, you know, look at the stats and go, oh, Ross had a shocker. But mm. the coach might be really happy because he might have done a job that we don't even know about. So, yeah. Um, uh, 
it'll be interesting to see what they do. I, I, I don't like making changes just for the sake of making changes. Uh, I notice on Big Footy, for example, a lot of guys like have got it in for Loney or various other players, Ross, as you said, um, and they just wait for them to have a an average game or, or something and they're screaming for them to be dropped. Hmm. Uh, but I mean, Ross is, I, the last four, four seasons, he's a 28 disposal a game player. Yeah, across four seasons, that's across the best, you know, almost a hundred games. That's that's very high production. So yeah, look, if he if he was playing for another club all that time, uh, there'd be guys on big footy who'd be crying out for us to to tra- trade for him. Mm. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm happy to. I mean, there's been a lot of this player twelve. You know, he's been he's had a couple of quiet weeks, so we'll we'll see what happens. I think. I think it's also the sort of thing where if something like that was going to happen, I feel like you'd hear about it earlier in the week. I know, think so. But yeah, so you'd hear about it at a coach's press conference or something like that. That oh, he's got to pull up his socks and fire the sh- sh- shot over there. I think some people are unhappy because there was a bit of talk after the Fremantle game that a few players were going to be made an example of, and ended up being Jonathan Marsh. So who I think Jonathan Jonathan Marsh's main problem is he doesn't have a natural position. So, again, another, he's a nice, nice, nice type to have on the list, but I think he's always the sort of player who's going to occasionally find themselves or more than occasionally find themselves out of the team. So, mm. I think, yeah, as you said, he's a handy player to have in the, in the squad because mm. he can come and do a job for one or two weeks. Necessarily mm. um, mean that he's going to be there all season, though. No, no. Good size, good attitude. Not not a lot wrong as a footballer, but you know, does, you know, as a, as a as a as a forward, do you see the do you see the clunking of the marks as a target? No, you don't. Do you see the creativity, sort of being able to create goals, that sort of thing? Not really. Um, big enough to play key position defence, probably not. So, as I said, nice nice type to have. And and he can go on there and, and play that defensive forward role that he did uh, very well a few weeks ago. Mm. So I think that's what they'll use him as to when there's players that he can play on to shut them down and stop the run of the other side. I think we'll I think we'll absolutely see uh, through the the twenty day festival of football. We'll see a lot of guys coming through the team. So yeah, I mean St Kilda. And an advantage at this stage somewhat because we've gone one, we've gone through a five day break earlier in the season. We played Carlton on the Thursday night and we saw what happened when uh Hanbury got hurt. So I feel like they, they should have that as long as they're not, you know, you would hope they're not make, making the same mistake twice. So, yeah, with the older blokes, um, this week should be, you know, this week we'll see what happens. Um, but they might rest a couple. Then it's a seven-day break before the next game, so that's fine. And then the short break start, and hopefully some. Well, I would expect some rotation. Get some games against yeah. some different guys and see, you know. Of course, the the problem with that is, you know, once you don't want to be. There was there was Simon Taylor, for Hawthorne in two thousand and eight, who was their number one ruckman, and I think. He decided to rest himself in the last game of the season and didn't get back into the team and they won the flag. They yeah. ended up playing different ruckman. 
Robert Campbell and oh, I can't think of the other one. Dream, but I can't think of his name. I'm just looking it up. <laughs> nobody, it was nobody wants to. It was Renouf. So I think, yeah. Renouf, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So one of them came in for uh, Campbell, uh, for uh, Simon Taylor right before the end of the season. I think, yeah, it was, yeah. it was, I think it might have been. So so that old adage, don't flirt with form. Maybe if the guys don't put their hands up to, to be rotated, then. Maybe they'll just get rotated when they get hurt, but who knows? Yeah. Hopefully, we have a big win the only, on the weekend. The only, of, the only advantage of rotations these days is if players have got a knock or they're, you know, pulled up sore or something, give them a rest. But don't I mean, don't take a risk. I think that's just err on the side of caution. Yeah, but if they're in good form and they're healthy, you keep playing them. Absolutely. So after Port, we have. Uh, Swans, Gold Coast, Cats, and the Bombers. All teams we can beat. I mean, we really should be beating Sydney, the shape they're in. Um, Gold Coast at the Gold Coast was the one place that Richo seemed to have no trouble travelling to. So (laughs) I think um, um, you never know with them, the way they're playing. We'll have to play good to beat them, I think. Yes, yeah, they're going to be a good game. And uh, I think that's – maybe I'm getting it wrong. Maybe that's not one of the games I'm free to wear for – Yeah, it is. But uh, it is? Oh, that's good. Yep. Free um, game. Then the Cats, then the Bombers. So – I'd be very happy if we or, win five. <laughs> we, 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 I would too. We weren't that bad down at Geelong last year. I, went, I made that trip down at Geelong last year for that game and I think it was – might have been Richo's last game. As coach, we were all right, but we went back into our shells in the second half, sitting on a sitting on a lead, and you know they were always going to come. So, but we had some reasonable patches in that game. Yeah, and I, I, I feel Geelong are gettable anywhere. So, and uh, their home ground as well. And I mean, Essendon are again capable of some really good football, but. Entirely unreliable. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. I'm looking forward, to, you know, and, and it'll just keep come around. You won't have enough time to stew on a loss or anything like that. We stewed on the Fremantle loss because we had a nine-day break. So that's not about to happen anytime soon. So another nine-day break. It'll be good, actually, because uh, if we do have a bad game, we won't have to worry, uh, wait too long for the, the next mm. And everyone's in the same boat. So I, I struggle to see anyone going through these four-game patches undefeated. I think it'll just be – the games will come so thick and fast that form will be difficult to maintain because you'll get someone on a two-day two shorter break or a one-day shorter break or some team have yeah. a bunch of guys who don't get up. So you get an old list like Geelong or Hawthorne, um, you might struggle. So Yeah. They – um. This season's been kind of funny because it's, I suppose it's because of no home ground advantage for certain teams and uh, no crowds or, or small crowds, I should say, for some games. And but play, uh, so teams have been up and down and you know looking like champions one week and then getting beaten by a low side the next week. It's been an interesting season. I've no mm. no idea which way it's going to go. I mean. 
Usually by about this stage of a season, you'd say, oh, you know, their certainty is to make the, the top four or something. But these days, uh, no idea. No, I, I won't be parting with any of my hard-earned no. this year, having a bit on the footy. Yeah. How many games are there a season? 17. So they've got 17. 10 left. Everyone plays each other once. So we after the end of this... No, after the end of this patch, I think we've got Hawthorne, Melbourne, West Coast, GWS, and Brisbane. Right. Okay. That's going to be interesting. Who knows what the sides are going to be like at that time. Hmm. And we usually see where we play Brisbane because, you know, obviously they've got to play some away games at some stage. So who knows where they'll be taking teams to it in late August and September to finish the season. All very interesting, the unknown. Yeah, it could really shake up how the season goes, where teams end up playing. And uh, I mean, they've certainly got the advantage at the moment. They're, they're pretty much playing at home every week, but uh, obviously that can't where, where teams play and when they play, as in, you know, short yeah. breaks or... I understand in the second batch of this, because there's another, you know, 33 games in 20 days will follow the one that's just been announced. And I think St Kilda is going to have a buy in the second second bunch of games. So, um, you know, if you're playing against a team, if you're coming off a nine, 10 day break because you've had a bunch of games off and then you're playing against a team that played five days ago and you've had a nine day break, I think that's a pretty big advantage. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yep. It's going to be an interesting season. Mm. Okay. Well, I think we've covered just about everything. Yep. Um, yep. That's good. Uh, the Saints game is on uh, – when is it? Is it Saturday? Friday. Saturday night. Saturday night. Yeah, that's right. Saturday night. Um, hopefully uh, we win again. It's on free to air. Yes, which is always a bit of a nightmare because we – Tend to have shockers when we play on free to air. So I'd like yeah, seven forty Melbourne time. Yeah, I would tell them we're on a winning streak at the Adelaide Oval now. So let's keep it going. Yeah. It holds no fear for us anymore. None, zero. <laughs> no worries, Peter. All right, all right, Andrew. Uh, we shall catch up next week and talk about the Saints' big win over Port, and hopefully Neil will be back. I just got a message on my phone. Uh, he's not feeling well tonight. So, uh, hi, Neil. I hope you're feeling better soon. And uh, Rest easy and get better. Yep. And we will uh, talk to you next week and talk to Andrew next week and talk about the Saints' big win over Port. Oh, when the Saints are watching Saints go marching in Oh, how I want to be a killer And the Saints go marching in